this is Junior Bruce, your buddy buddy and mine. And I'll be giving you the blow-by-blow, play-by-play when the kings and queens of the open road roar onto the track. Welcome, folks, to Man Cave Movie Review, special schlock movie episode. This is the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. And the occasional really bad movie because change is good, as they say. Today we're going to be talking about Death Race 2000, that 1975 cult classic starring David Carradine, Sylvester Stallone, believe it or not, and Simone Griffith, who is... Hot. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me in the stellar review is my good and dear friend, Mark. I can't drive 55 slower. <laughs> nice Van Halen slash uh, call Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, somewhere, Jeff and Steve, there oh. is a carnival in search of its kitty car ride cars because. They ran off to do this movie. Yep, I, I I agree with you. All right, and also joining us, very good, Mark. I love that. I love that. That was great. And also joining us is our other good and very dear friend, Jeff. Car seat? I don't need a stink of car seat. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta catch my breath. Oh, my God. Well, here he comes. Machine Gun Steve. <laughs> loved by thousands. Hated by millions. Beautiful. Bravo. Great. Bravo. I should have said, here comes, here, here he comes. Um, Pop Shot Steve or... Machine Gun Viterno Steve. Something. Oh my gosh. You know what, Mark, when you suggested that we have to do Death Race 2000, I chuckled my <laughs> muscular buttocks off because I had just watched this movie about a month and a half ago. And I, I did. I'm laughing because I saw this movie, I think, oh gosh, maybe, I think her and I just got married. And uh, her and I, my wife. And her and I, we had just got married. And I don't remember why, but I'm like, we went to a box office video, and I'm like, I, we were just like grabbing movies off the thing, and I I ended up running this one, and we I remember we sat there watching this like 15, 15 minutes of the movie. I remember Deb looks at me, she goes, "Are we really going to continue watching this movie?" <laughs> <laughs> Gross. This I'm like, I'm like, it's so bad. It's good. This would be that look like you will never have sex with me again if you just like keep watching this movie. So yeah, I shut it off at that point, but I paid the late fee oh. because we ended up watching some of the crap that she bought, and I paid the late fee because Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. I said Titanic. Oh, dude, Avatar. No, this is way before Titanic. I don't even think that oh. was around when we got married. It's, <laughs> Jesus, this is a schlock movie, but it's a cult classic. People love this movie. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's another Roger Corman movie. It's a Roger we did, Corman movie. We did Battle Beyond the Stars, and now we're doing Death Race 2000. Yes, and here's the thing. Um it's so bad, it's good. It, it is. It's one of those, it is so bad, it's good. And that's why we're doing this, because it's a schlock movie. And we we have to put one of these in there, because we have to change up what we're doing. We don't want to just keep putting out the fabulous shows that we review, because, you know, after a while, that kind of gets boring. You want to see some of the crap that we actually sat up one night, because, you know, we didn't have a date that night or whatever, and we had to. Because we're more like, like married are on TV, and it's and you know what, this is one of the movies that comes up, and you know no. what, it it was actually kind of interesting. All right, you know what, um, my good and dear friend uh, Mark, I can drive fifty five slower. Said we really need to preface this movie with brother, what do you drink? So we're going to start off with 
our other good and dear friend, Mark, I can drive 55, Slover, and ask him, what is he indulging in right now to get us through this movie? Well, to get through this movie, I had to crack the Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey because, you know, I just need to go full Jova Turbo on this bad boy to get through this movie. I know. It, it, it's it, it's a fun movie, folks. Don't get us wrong. It's but so it's, bad. It's, it's good. Really, it does need some type of alcoholic beverage to help you get through it. And speaking of alcoholic beverages, I want to refer it back to our other good and dear friend, Jeff. Car seat? I don't need no stinking car seat. Muncie. <laughs> um, you know, Steve, to get through this movie, um, I had to drink. Um, I had to drink some Woodford Reserve, um, chased by some Jefferson, um, <laughs> with an IV of Founders, and then I found the Jim Jones Kool Aid, and. Uh, I Did you find that. straight ethyl alcohol? Um, because um, <laughs> I uh, I understand why this is a cult classic, but um, I'll I'll never get this hour and twenty five minutes of my life back. No. Oh, oh come on! You got to a times it. times it's four because three. that's the number of times I've seen it this week. Um, <laughs> God, I. This this was uh, this is look, epic, an epic. Look, this movie had one thing going for it. You got to admit, you never saw a boom mic drop down in front of the actors. <laughs> it had that much going for it. There's that. Um, but speaking I, of what I was drinking, just so you know, and I'm going to point it up to my uh, to my other uh, compatriots to get me through this movie. This is what I had. That's what's left. That's what oh, got you to the movie. Bottle of Jack. Yeah. We all had to go for the brown liquor. Did you notice? I had it for the is. brown. This is one of those movies you've got to go for the sour mash or the Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> all right. We're poking fun, but it is. It's a fun movie. You've got to watch this movie. Depending on what your, <laughs> your tolerance level is for really bad, campy, 1970s everything, I'm talking acting where all the extras literally look into the camera. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like they brought people in and said, all right, we want you to be the crowd. Don't look into the camera. What do they do? They look right into the camera, and they're all cheering and looking in the camera. I'm like, all right. actually, there's, there's two, maybe three names in this movie. Uh, you have David Carradine, who everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but that are old like us, will know him from the uh, legendary Kung Fu series. Sylvester Stallone, yes. Rocky was in this movie. This was one of his early movies. Oh, Turbo. Yeah. I still don't understand the whipped cream all over his face in one scene. Can somebody explain that to me? I think there was a bad edit there. That was one of those where... I think they cut something in the movie because that's where it started. The whole thing started at this dinner table, and he had, like, whipped cream or something all over his face and all over his hands, and it started that way. And it's like, are you just like a sloppy eater, or what? what what's the story there? <laughs> are you drunk? Jeff? I, you know, this show. <laughs> He's got nothing. The names alone are... <laughs> they're both so unoriginal and yet so classic. I'm torn between whether to love them or hate them. We all, between the ages of 17 and 17 and a half, have played this you know, in our minds with our friends in the car and said, you know what, if you hit the old lady and the shopping cart and can catch the cantaloupe in the air... I'll give you 100 points, okay? We've all played this game, and it all stems from, you know, this this movie. But, you know, it starts out with the classic introductions 
and you were introduced to these these wonderful characters with these so original names. I mean, it's it's almost as if Douche a high school, bags. <laughs> um, you know, Calamity Jane, Machine Gun Joe, Viterbo, Frankenstein, Nero, Nero the hero. My favorite is Matilda the Hunt. Oh, okay, man. in the hottest chick in the movie. By far. No, no, no. Simone Griff. She's held up well. It's not fair for uh, uh, Roberta Collins because she's did because she did. <laughs> but Simone Griffith. Oh my gosh! I mean, if that's uh, uh, the the IMBD picture I saw of her, that's what she looks like now. She actually looks better now than she knew when she was like what twenty five or six when she made this movie. She had to have sold her soul. This is Roger Corman, classic schlock. And you have arrived when someone remakes you with Jason Statham. It is a pleasure to, to some degree to know that we, as Americans, are free to make movies like this. I'm glad we do have this in our film archives to to look back and appreciate. But Steve, you were did you you go down the list of all the actors? Did you get to uh, Martin Cove? Thank you. I was just <laughs> talking about Martin Cove. Martin Cove is, and I felt bad for the guy because he played Nero the Hero, who died really early, and he didn't even score any points, I think, in the movie. But Martin Cove, for those of you who don't know him, for those of you who grew up in our generation, which is, you know, the 40 and plus people who saw Karate Kid. He was the evil Karate Master. He was was the opposite of... That's right! He was the evil cross. He's in the Cobra. Cobra Kai's. He played John Kreese. Yeah, he was I don't, awesome. I don't consider. I, I don't consider him evil. No, he's he just was a badass. He was just a dickhead. That's all. This guy. Uh, he's involved in twelve different projects this year alone. He's a. He's definitely a B grade actor. Between seventy five and then when he makes. Uh, Karate Kid. I mean, he, he doesn't age too much. I mean, he still he, he still looks good. I mean, that's a ten year span right there, seventy five to about what was it, eighty five, when Karate Kid came out. Yeah, and he looks like a surfer dude slash stoner, but he pulls it off well. Well, the guy was born in March of nineteen forty six, so I mean, you know, he's not a spring chicken. I mean, he's still out there making movies. Oh yeah, you probably figure. I mean, what is this guy getting? I mean, what? Maybe what fifty, hundred grand a movie. He knows what his thing is, and it's guys like that that really give flavor to movies because they're character actors. They're not the Brad Pitts. They're not the stellar actors that you see. They're character actors. It's like, oh, I remember seeing him in this. I remember seeing him in that. You see these guys in movies, and they do. They give a flavor and authenticity to the movie, and. We, we can dog David Carradine for Kung Fu, but one of my favorite movies that he did, and, and he broke away, he quit Kung Fu, and this was one of the first movies he did, Death Race 2000, so he could get back into feature films, although I don't know about calling this a feature film, but one of the best movies he's ever done is Long Riders. And I don't know if you two have ever seen it, but it's about the... Uh, the James Gang raid up to uh, Minnesota. Really? It is awesome. He and Keith Carradine play Jesse and Frank James. They're awesome. We saw him at Gen Con a few years ago. He was yep. there. Yep. But you know what? The guy is always working. Yep. Well, not anymore, but... Well, not anymore. He had a good time with Simone Griffith in this movie. <laughs> God. He walked off the set of... Kung Fu because he thought he was being uh, typecasted. He didn't want to be looked at. That's all he ever did. You know, people even saw him as they thought he was Asian. He has actually Asian ethnic heritage in him at all. I mean, he really wanted to get away from that and get into movies. Compared to his brothers, it's, it's one of those things where it's like he was probably the most unattractive of the Carradines. I would agree. To be honest with you, this is probably the only time you saw him in the movie where he was not uncomfortable to look at. Because other times he just looked weird. And like Mark said, we saw him one year at Gen Con. And uh, 
I remember standing there and I, I didn't get an autograph or talk to him or anything like that, but I remember seeing him and it's like, you know what? A lot of these actors are not very big people because I'm like, that's him. I saw him there and, you know, and it was the same time I saw Linda Blair. They're kind of small. They're, they're very, I mean, again, I'm 6'1, but that's not like freaky tall, but they just look like really, Small people. I mean, well, I, I just want to go ahead and throw out a point of parliamentary procedure here. Five seven is not small. It is the world average. Okay, and is that you know, what just, it is? Is is that what? Is that what his height was? I have no idea. I'm just I'm just throwing a bone to myself here. You know, people consider you know actors short. Well, I mean, because on the screen, you know, there's a lot of actors. We you know they they. It goes to uh, photography. They shoot at angles that make them look like they are bigger than they are. I mean, there's some actors that, gosh, I mean, Sylvester Stallone's a pretty short guy. But, I mean, there's Tom a lot of actors. Tom Cruise. I mean, but, you know, you wouldn't have thought Tom Cruise was, quote, unquote, short, even though they're all, you know, the, the world average of 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, you know, they're not the towering behemoths that you two are. But, um, <laughs> you know what the funny thing is, is that you have no idea when I go to the gym, I feel like I'm like a Lilliputian. There are so many guys there that I just feel that tower over me. Well, that's because you don't take steroids. Not that steroids helps with height or anything, but. No. Well, you may, you may take steroids. I don't know. I can't back that up either way. But. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> you're still a hulking behemoth to me, okay? So I the, mean, let's you know, your, you your know. biceps are. Biceps suck. Biceps are okay. Your triceps are seven times the size of my head. But anyway, I just pulled up David Carradine and his height. Now, Mark, you saw him. At yeah, Gen, right? at Gen Con. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Kind of small to you. Oh, he's average size. What do you? I just looked it up. They said his height is six one. The dude's my height. I'm like, no way, because I'm sick. Because you and I are about the same height. Yeah. And a little bit taller than me. Yeah. And he, I would have said he was like 5'9". Yeah, he's he's kind of a worn out kind of guy. And maybe he just, maybe it's Again. part of his age. He's just hunched down and he's broken. 5'9 is not short, okay? Well, to it, is, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> yes, thank you, above. Jeff. The world average, okay. World average is five. Got to get that in, don't you? That's okay. I, you know, I shouldn't even have brought this up. And Jeff, I still love you. I had to throw that in there because just because I feel bad for David Carradine. We all have, we all have our little hidden secrets. We all know how he died. I do have to respect IMBD for how they said he died. Accidental asphyxiation. <laughs> did he die? Is he dead? Uh, he's been dead for you. You you don't know this. You don't know the story. Oh oh oh! oh the asphyxiation. Yeah yeah. Because I just remember from Gen Con a few years ago. Yeah, he died he, in two thousand nine. So yeah, right after we it, saw him. Right yeah. afterwards, he That's died badly at the age of seventy two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Accidental asphyxiation. Of course he did. You know, he died in 2009, but um, there uh, there is about uh, seven movies that came out after he died, and there are two that are coming out uh, with him in it, apparently, that are slated to come out this year and one to come out next year. Well, that's why I was like, he died? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole asphyxiation thing. Well, yeah. you know, real quick, this movie cost Corman, and again, I give Corman credit, and Jeff, you missed the earlier review. We did Battle Beyond the Stars, Steve and I. This guy makes money. He yep. makes freaking bank. This movie cost him less than half a million. That explains so much. This guy is a solid guaranteed return on investment. He's not a gold mine, but he's a return on investment. You're going to make money off the guy. One of you was saying that this this originally was meant to be a darker movie, and you can get that the whole concept of you know people out you know in their cars running over people for points should should be a dark concept, right? Wrecked them, nearly, nearly killed, killed them. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, wow, I didn't see that coming out today, but uh, I'm glad you brought it out. You know what? I don't even know what I was talking about. Making money. Oh, well, that's not what I was talking about, but I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. That's okay. One thing that really kind of fascinated me about this movie was some of the trivia that I was reading. According to Roger Corman, several of the custom cars featured in the movie were later sold to car museums for considerably more than the cost to build them. So, as you were saying, Mark, the guy still banks bank. He builds schlock cars and still sells them for more than what they're worth. Several cars in the movie are rebodied Volkswagens, including a VW. I'm not even going to pronounce that movie. The White Resistance Army car that chases Frankenstein very briefly before crashing and blowing up is a 1965 Ford Mustang. Nero's car is based on a Fiat 850 Spider. And Frankenstein's is a Chevy Corvette. So there you go. I'm going to tell you right now. They had these stereotypical people that were riding the thing. You had, when they talk about Matilda's buzz bomb, I love that car. I love that car. It's a V1. It looked exactly like a V1 rocket. I mean, that took somebody to sit there and go, if we're going to get the Nazi chick to come out and do it, put her in a V1 rocket. And speaking of which, I'm going to go through a few more trivia things here. Roger Corbin wrote the original treatment of the film, which was serious in tone, but thought it was not right and, in his words, was kind of vile. Uh, he decided the dark material of the story would be better served by making the movie into a comedy and had Robert, Tom, rewrite the treatment. So this movie went from probably something that would have been really good to something that was really schlocky, which is why we're talking about it right now. Yeah, it was one of those where you could see how this could have been a really dark or a dark movie. But here, I'll tell you what, here is my favorite bit of trivia on it. Mary Werwolnov, who plays Calamity Jane. And I'm, we'll be talking about her later. My God. Thank you. Yeah, she plays Calamity Jane. I love this part. Did not know how to drive a car. Yes, she did not know how to drive a car. So a stunt driver did all the actual driving for her in the movie. For the close-ups, Calamity Jane sat in a car, towed behind a truck, with the camera crew riding behind it. It gets better than that. Sylvester Stallone wrote some of his own dialogue. Oh, oh Adrian. This we should not be shocked about. But, you know, here's the I thing, mean, guys. Here's the thing. just so damn bad. It's good. I know. Here's the part that gets me is that I read that trivia, and part of it is like, is this really true? Because you're writing a movie about car racing, and you hired an actress that did not know how to drive a car. <laughs> Perfect. You literally have to deliberately do that. Steve, you Just can't make that shit up. Really? That's brilliant. The whole movie is built around car racing, and you hired an actress that can't drive. <laughs> And the concept of somebody in 1975 that does know how to drive just kind of boggles my mind. The movie is just utter grindhouse schlock from beginning to end. And that's what makes it so bad that it's good. Here's a few things. We have Nero the Hero, who I felt bad about. They died early. It was, it was pretty bad. Poor character development. <laughs> we had so much opportunity there we never explored it <laughs> you d- did not pull that out on this movie oh my god absolutely poor character development That's poor character development Jesus did he just say that out loud I, I your honor I would like that stricken from the record I cannot let that stand. <laughs> Sustained. <laughs> Come on. You gotta admit. Hey, Mark. Poor character development. Again, have we said that this is a transcontinental race across America and you gotta <laughs> rack up points along the way and there is a, there's a matrix 
of you know you know who gets the most points you know you know old people get a ton of points and there's been a change this year you know women in every category are plus 10 i'm like what the quote is toddlers underneath the age of 12 <laughs> and the howard cosell play by play that is going on that's a trivia thing the guy that was doing the guy that sounded like howard cosell he purposely did that Oh yeah, I I thought about talking in this podcast either that way, or as cardboardish as David Carradine did um, through the entire movie. Oh my gosh, he was. You know, the best scene in the movie is when they put the old people out in the road. <laughs> it's co-pilot's like, what are they doing? Oh, it's euthanasia day at the hospital. <laughs> I rewound that five times to make sure I heard that right. <laughs> They have carted these old people out and put them in the middle of the road. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> this movie and it's, is, you're right, this movie is one of those where you sit there and you go, am I really seeing what I'm so, seeing? Right it's so politically incorrect. You're oh right. Oh, my God. It is, it is great. Well, yeah, it is like a Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is it is at that scene there that I'm like, okay, what do they they they, they would they speed the film up to get these cars to go a little bit faster? Because you know he makes like a 90 degree turn on like a dime, <laughs> and going like you know 112 miles an hour, and cold. then and then you see all of a sudden you hear these these Wilhelm screams from these nurses right <laughs> as they're like trampolining up in the air right. You know the car is running over them, and they're all like, you know, jumping, you know, you know, whatever, fifteen milliseconds after the after the other one, and it's like this. Okay, this is how this movie is going to go, and of course, I think that is all after the, um, the yeah, the Toro scene where you got a guy on the side of the road with a with a red cape and uh, you know, <laughs> pretend to be a matador. And the the best part of that scene is where she's peeling out in the mud, and you hear the screeching tires, um, <laughs> as if she's on a street. And I'm like, that's what I love about seventies film is is you have you have people in grass and in rocks and in mud and they're peeling out and you hear the <laughs> The only thing just, better than that, Jeff, is the explosions of the cars when they when they fall off the cliff. That they instantaneously detonate. Yeah. When these cars explode they, they explode. explode. Well, Matilda's when 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 Matilda the Hun. Now that, again, there you know we did not exploit that enough. But when she goes cartwheeling off the side of a cliff, which I'm like, man, you know, you just don't have enough cliffs anymore to drive cars off of around here. Um, <laughs> you know, it it's it was glorious, and you know, and it is that cheesy. Okay, we're going to throw up a a cardboard makeshift tunnel here and we're going to put a detour sign out on the road and it's of so course wily coyote i'm like you know this is like what is that the greatest the great race or something that that no, 1960s movie no um, it's you know wily coyote mark just hit it that was literally right out of the roadrunner series it was wild. you're right here here's a tunnel that you can go through but you're really going to go through a cliff and she pulls through and i'm like oh my gosh Drives right through, boom, right down the right down the cliff. I got to give Peter Fonda credit, and I don't give him credit for much, but he was offered the role of Frankenstein, and he considered the movie, and I quote, "too ridiculous for words." <laughs> the only thing it's missing is when you pull out the bic lighter, a la. Uh, young Frankenstein. When, when you put, throw the toast at the screen, all of Frankenstein, it has that kind of feel to it. It is okay. so bad. It is fun. It is you know, one of those where, yeah, you do. You will watch this movie, and it's one of those where, unlike my loving wife, Deb, I love you, but you know what? You're you're not a geek like us. You can't you can't appreciate true art. <laughs> if you can get past, if you can get past the first fifty minutes of this movie, you're where is that? Where's that whammy sound you have? Because that needed to go off right there. They don't take it seriously in any respects. No, particularly Matilda has a V one. <laughs> Frankenstein has this monster motif. 
Jova Turbo has this machine gun slash knife motif. I got to give Corman credit. Corman knows what he's making. He's making shite. Yep. But shite that will make money. And if you're an investor, you're going to see the return on your investment twofold, at least twofold. Yep. And he did. He did on this. And this movie has uh, done that for him. And it's one of those where it, it depends on what generation you are from. If it is, I guarantee if it is my daughter's generation, will look at this movie and go, are you serious? <laughs> where if it is our generation, we'll look at it going, are you serious? But you know what? It's We'll, we'll still watch it because it's entertaining as hell. It's it funny. It is entertaining yeah, as hell. And, and, and the thing of it is, is that, folks, this movie, it's a campy movie. It is this, it, it's one of those um, dystopian futures. There are things that are said throughout the movie that are just put out there for just pure, you know, entertainment. And I'll, I've got some clips that we'll talk about later on that you'll hear about. Oh, that. And, and you're right. It is the classic genre mashup. Of the seventies dystopian future of Soylent Green, yeah, of that whole dystopian future of overpopulation and the world going to hell. This was part of that whole genre. Yep, it was. There was this whole time during the seventies. There was this, which is kind of interesting, and not to go on a off key here, but there was that was a big thing during the seventies. It was. Overpopulation, we're running out of resources, and everything. Soiling green is people. Yeah, soiling green, there's people, we're all going to die. It was Planet of the Apes. I mean, it was just, everything was going to end. And, you know, we're here 40 years later, and we're still making the same damn movies, but with better special effects. Really. I mean, that's basically what we're doing. That's true. We're pretty much perpetuating the stuff that they were telling us 40 years ago was going to happen. Here's 40 years later, we're going, well, yeah, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen 40 years from now. And I keep thinking 40 years from now, they're going to be making them out, you know, whatever. But, no, it's, and this is one of those where it's not dystopian, it's more, you know, totalitarian government control type thing. I love the whole references to the French that we will, uh, I've got sound clips for that, that we will enjoy. But uh, I want to talk real quick about some of the actors before we go on on this. Um, like I said, David Carradine, he plays Frankenstein. He's pretty much a construct. This whole race thing is based off of, I mean, would you guys agree, is based off of the, you know, the whole gladiator, keep the masses happy, the bread circus type. I do agree with that, and I, as, as early as like three or four years ago, was saying, you know, that's we we are headed down this road. I mean, our appetite for, you know, more vicious reality type games. When when Survivor came on, I said, I, you know, this this is just where we're going as real life, you know, situations where people are, you know, pitted against, you know, whatever situation, and we want to see, you know, they either triumph or fail. And and I said, you know, gosh, by you know twenty twenty five. You know, we are going to see, you know, the running man on TV. That that is where we're going with with our culture is, you know, our appetite for for blood can't be quenched. So we're going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger and these, you know, you know these these bloody matches, you know, televised on TV. But I think that's, you know, that's where they thought we were going, and uh, I can't really argue that, you know, to to a point, that's what we want. We want to see train wrecks on TV. Look at the uh, housewives of Pick Your County. <laughs> Jesus, you know I can I can go on an entire rant about that when I mother was down here for a couple of weeks. I'm like, you actually seriously watch these shows, dude? I <clears throat> my my I'm embarrassed to say, Sarah watches them. I leave the room because it is why. It is I don't know. I I can't get her to explain it. She just says, oh, it's just something. You know, it's just you know, it's basically a guilty pleasure for her. And I'm like. The problem with this is a none of these people are wives because nobody wants to be married to them. Okay, there. Yeah, there's, they've seen the husbands. 
Well, I have seen the husbands, and you know they they are just you know basically sugar daddies, right? They're they're doing nothing with the house, okay? They have nothing to do with the house. Some of them are hardly wives. How they're even remotely housewives, okay? I'll give you the fact that they they have nice homes usually, and they then go out and they behave in a way that what I absolutely despise about those and reality TV all along the way is people believe that this is how you're supposed to act. I mean, you've got people you know, at the shopping malls that I see acting fools like this. Now, you could argue they've been doing that for years now, and you're probably right. They have probably been doing this for years. But you know, you're making it more mainstream on TV to behave in this manner where their civility is out the window, and you think you can drag all of your personal dirty laundry out in the public, and we want to hear it. I know. I just I don't get it myself. I don't. I don't get it. But anyway, we've got to talk about the worst antagonist in the world. We are greeted with Frankenstein, who ends up being this, you know, basically 5'7", non-intimidating character that comes out, you know, walking like he's, you know, got, uh, you know, stiff legs or something. And everybody around him is like six inches taller than him. He's the most unintimidating person that I think they could have put out there. And, by the way, I stand corrected. I guess George Lucas did steal even the Darth Vader concept from this movie here. There we go. <laughs> this is 1975, so I'm guessing that everything that George Lucas took to make Star Wars, you know, between Flash Gordon and this movie here, because, you know, this guy here, the, the pre-Darth Vader. Yeah, I can't argue with you there. And, and it's not intim- I mean, it's not at all intimidating. And you know, as the show goes on, this guy becomes more of a whiny, sniveling crybaby almost. I mean, he just is so sympathetic. And David Carradine does not pull off a <laughs> does not pull this role off very well at all. Well, first of all, because he's just not. And I say this with the full confidence. Uh, <laughs> heterosexual man who loves women and boobies, boobies that were in this movie. But you know what? The dude's just not appealing. And let's talk about the one scene when he's first in the room, uh, the ho- supposedly his hotel room with Simone, whatever her name is, Griffith. Did you notice? <laughs> that, did you? No, seriously, did you notice the room that they were in? It's like they got the bed and everything. Did you notice the doors with the exit sign? They were... I mean, did you see that? Like, what? It's like, is that the, is that the emergency exit for you to get they, out if things go bad or what? They rented a conference room at the Marriott Hotel and threw yeah, a bed and some red carpet in there. It was like, I think they actually set that up in a conference room because of, like, you had the bed, you had the door with the with the green exit sign, and I'm like, wow. I mean, the room was gigantic. I mean, it was every bit of, like, 50 by 50 with this giant... All I noticed was the giant red carpet on the floor, and I'm like, that's a lot of... That's a lot of carpet to have to roll out to take up this conference room here. Well, this is the only room we have available, and it's a conference room. We're good. We're good. <laughs> We're good. We just need a 50 by 50 sheet of red carpet, a bed, two lamps, and a plant, and we're good to go. Because <laughs> that's how bad this movie is. It almost reminded me of the, of the movie Logan's Run, where <laughs> everybody would <laughs> – do you remember Logan's Run? Where, there's, where the whole thing, everybody lives in that dystopian future, and it was like some shopping mall and and there was at one point where you'd see people walking by, and it's like there's the you know the double doors with the exit sign. I'm like, you guys really didn't notice that was in the film part when you right. were walking by. It, it's it's one of those. It's so campy. Where the editing, as bad as I do this podcast, I could have edited this better than they did. Well, you know, you felt there was going to be some weird S&M 1970s <laughs> porno movie take place. I mean, you know, this seemed to be going down that road. Because I, I was waiting for somebody to yell off camera, bring out the gimp. <laughs> oh, weren't you? That was one of the most uncomfortable scenes when 
he's standing there, and all he's wearing is a speedo in his in his face mask. And I'm like, I'm really feeling uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I, this is not one of those type of scenes I want to watch. There were some uncomfortable, you know, scenes in the movie with. David Carradine and his black Darth Vader get-up, which Mark I had said, even uh, Steven Spielberg, not Steven, uh, George Lucas stole the Darth Vader concept from this movie. So so now, if it's been official, George Lucas has stolen everything that is in Star Wars. But anyways, no, the, you know, the Frankenstein character, I mean, far less intimidating than he should have been. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, they could have got somebody better for that. Well I, well, I mean, if Peter Fonda was the other guy that was thrown up for this role, I mean, I I don't know if he could have done a better job. I mean, you know, this this movie was what this movie was. But David Carradine, you know, David Carradine, I read an article, uh, an interview with him years ago, and he's always carried a chip on his shoulder. He's always felt he was cheated um, when it comes to movie choices. He felt that he was absolutely on par with, with people like Sean Connery, um, Robert De Niro, that that he uh, was unjustly passed over for parts that he j- had the the same quality acting style that any of these great you know you know A list actors had in Hollywood, and he was really bitter in this article I read. Felt he just wasn't getting his due. I'm going to go ahead and have to disagree with him uh, because I don't think he was that great of an actor. No, he wasn't. Even in the Kill Bill movies, um, which I know that you love, you know, as as maybe one of your top twenty two part movies. That uh, e- even in that movie, he's probably the weakest thing in it. And I'm never intimidated by his role in those in those in that series either. He just doesn't play a good. And not that he's really, I guess, even a bad guy in this movie as much as a a loner, a rebel, anti hero. But you know, even you know, when he takes off his mask, it's like <laughs> he take well, he takes off all his clothes, and you know, and she's saying all oh, these perfect legs and this perfect, oh perfect. My God. Like seriously, woman. Like I'm like, man, you know, you haven't seen a real man. Uh, you know, you need to meet me. And uh, of course, she'd be a corpse right now if she met me. But I know yeah. that that's that part there. She was those perfect legs. I'm like, I'm like, you know, they could have at least done some sort of like. God, I don't you know, know. magic marker stitching to show that this guy had been pieced back together because at no point do we get the sense that he has had all these until the end where he takes off his arm and throws in the car as a grenade, which just like that's what this show has come to is he's killed off every bit of competition so he can right the world. I don't know who you could have put in this role, though. I really I'm I'm struggling here, so. Or maybe this was perfect for him because, I mean, if you look at the movie for what it was, I mean, everybody in here maybe did as good as the role needed. Well, I don't know, but he really didn't fit the role. I mean, he did not, like you said, he didn't give that particular character the presence or whatever you want to call it to fill it. Because every time you looked at him, you're like, he's kind of a dork. I mean, Well, maybe he never really again, this was a schlocky movie. Maybe it's perfect for him. Yeah. All right. You know what? We're going to go on two clips here right now. So we are going. Well, we have. When did you want to talk about? We. I don't think we. I think you've been holding off on wanting to talk about the way they set up this time. Uh, you know, the year two thousand in their minds. Is that coming up in clips? Because, you know, this because, you know, the their vision of what the year two thousand held for us with you know these nice space age buildings, and that scene there. I mean, I thought it was hysterical that you have this scene of. Uh, people in the stands and the cars and out on the track, and then you've got this. I, I don't even know how you explain how they even did that shot because I mean it, I don't know if they, somebody was you know superimposed on the film the sci-fi looking or the futuristic looking buildings that were like in the background. Do you remember, you remember that scene, right? Yeah, you mean the um, cartoon. Drawings. Yes, the cartoon drawing, which yeah. was you know paired up with the the grandstands of all the spectators there for to yes. see the start of the race. On one sense, it looked really good. On the second sense, you're like, wow, that looks like somebody did some sort of stencil and uh, and drew that. No, it really kind of reminded me of okay, we've got life people here, and in the background we have uh, the background of Bugs Bunny cartoon. I mean that's what, I mean that's pretty much what it looked like. I mean it was, right. especially the part where I don't know if you saw it where the uh, the tram 
went across. I'm like, I didn't see it. I didn't. Yeah, notice. you missed that part where it was like it was like the monorail from Disney World. I'm like, it was a cartoon. It was just they had literally cartoon animation going across. But again, I understand it's 1975, but really, because it is. It's like you have live people here, and you have. Literally Bugs Bunny cartoon stuff behind you, going. All right, here's the. Wow, it was it it was, and, and part of me like, maybe they meant this on purpose. Maybe it was supposed to look like this because this was supposed to be a campy movie. It uh, added to it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with yes. Yes. That that's that's what it was. That's what it had to be, right? They intended for this movie to be. They they changed it from its original. Um, intent of being a serious movie to this funnier comedy. Right. So, I, I don't know. I think that's what it is. Alright, you know what? I've got some great clips from this movie. Oh, we're going to go with the one that when they first introduced Vertebra Joe, which was Sly Stallone, and I love this clip, so we're going to play that now. Here he comes! Machine Gun Joe! Loved by thousands, hated by millions! <laughs> I just thought that was a great line. And that dude, he was uh, the guy that does that, and he's great because that's the thing. The DJ that does this whole thing, he was like a DJ from California for like 30, 40 years. Very famous DJ in California. And he was in this movie. He was brilliant. I mean, he went that over-the-top DJ thing. And you'll hear him throughout throughout the movie and some of the sound clips. But (laughs) I like this one. This is a scene where... It seems like all of the every driver has a navigator, and it, it, it kind of, you get the impression that all the navigators are pretty much <laughs> having relations with the other drivers and so on and so forth. And, that's that's what I got. Yeah, and there's this one, and I'll tell you right now, folks, you are going to see one navigator in here, and for those of you who are our age, you will remember him as Gopher, Fred Grady from Love Boat. Played oh, Herman the German was the navigator oh. for Matilda the Hun. Calamity Jane rolls up, and Calamity Jane is just she's she likes men, so she pulls up and she has this comment to say to uh, to Herman the German. So here we go. Hi, Herman. I hope your buzz bomb has a little more juice in its warhead this year. You know, it's, you know, and his sheepish look, you know, well, they well established, you know, that this woman and her uh, her conquest were were legendary. And, uh, you know, at first I thought, is that Rick Moranis there? But no, you're right. My <laughs> God. <laughs> Beautiful. Well done. Oh, man. We're not the only one. I looked at that and went, oh, my God, it's Rick Moranis. I was just waiting for him to like do the whole Ghostbusters thing or something. Oh my god! Oh, that is great. But yeah, you know, all of them, yeah, they're their navigator. It's almost like they're their concubine or something, as as if they. It was almost like against their will to be there. And it seems like all of them at some point. I mean, they they all went through all kinds of abuse. Even at one point. I mean the, the the relationship between Stallone and his navigator. I mean, at one point, I mean, <laughs> like this may be the last movie that you see a man deck a woman in it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> just oh full cocksucker. I'm like, because I thought the same thing. I'm like, wow, that's that's rough for this movie. Oh uh, yeah, there's some rough scenes in this one. Moving on. We are going to go to another great clip. I'm going to go to this scene here. This is a scene where uh, Machine Gun Joe is lost. He has no idea where he is. And again, you got to remember the whole goal of this movie is you have to kill people that you see on the road. Well, he sees this guy sitting on the side of the road, and he's fishing in a creek. And he kind of pulls up, and he's like, how the hell do I get to the main road? And the guy's trying to talk to him, and, and he mistakes him for Frankenstein, who is... Joe's nemesis. I've seen you before. I'm one of your greatest fans. You know that? I follow all of the races. I got pictures of you all over the outhouse. I named my favorite dog after you, Mr. Frankenstein. I did. Lovely. Stinking dirt paw. You got two seconds to live. 
I'm shocked that he wrote his own dialogue, by the way. <laughs> the best part is I have your pictures all over my house. <laughs> you gotta figure out this is like what you know 20, 30 years in the future and you still have our houses you know as he's being run down alright I keep thinking <laughs> boy he had a good day fishing those were some good sized fish he's got <laughs> he never drops his fish his fishing rod <laughs> and then when they run him over and they peel out on top of him, right? I don't know if you noticed, there's that little sound that comes in. <laughs> who's, who's editing the sound to this movie? <laughs> God, Steve. Oh. Steve, because you know what? I can do a better job with Audacity than I can do with this. It was, it was one of those where when they were peeling it out, I'm like, it was like they were doing it, and they had the the engine thing, or they had the wheel going, and they had a whole bunch of tomato soup where they were shooting off the wheel to show the blood. Fl- I'm like, my God. And there was a thing, the blood in this movie. When you saw the blood, it was ridiculous blood. It was it was, it was red paint. It looked it's, like the paint in, in uh, Kelly's Heroes that they fired <laughs> Out of the back, or they fired from the Sherman tank and yeah. hit the uh, and hit the tiger in the back with. I was like, this neon kind of paint here that they've like, you know, they just had people like, I think they just threw it on the ground and had people sit in it because that was, I mean, you know, it, I remember the one, the first victims, his entire pants like they were all painted in like a <laughs> U shape with some blood, and I'm like, you know, these death scenes where you've got. You know, you've got people like rolling on the ground with their Wilhelm screams. I'm like, <laughs> every one of them. And and then there's like the burnout right on top of them as if it was like the coup de gras or something. Right, exactly. Oh, it was glorious. All right. Let's see. What do we got here? I am going to move on to, uh, oh, here we go. We're going to play the clip where the first person that died in the movie, and again, Folks, this is a campy movie. It's They have the reporter go to the house of the widow of the first person that was killed in the race. And it's classic. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. As the widow of the race's first score, you have won a high-style two-room apartment in Acapulco. Wow. There you go. This show is going to be worse than I thought it was when they are given an award for to the first victim's spouse. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long movie here. Well, you know, this movie's a lot like Running Man. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the vision that they saw for the future. I, you know, and I think it. You know, you got to remember this is the 70s and 80s where everybody thought we were going to die in um, some sort of you know nuclear holocaust or something. You know, the future was very bleak, I think, to a lot of people. And this was the natural progression. And you know, I don't know, if, you know, earlier I was alluding to, I, I, I kind of signed on to that, you know, after Survivor hit it big that, you know, we are trying to do one-upmanship on every reality show that we put out there. And it just seemed like this is where we were going to go. You know, it was just the train had left the station and, and we're going to get there at some point. It is the old Roman gladiatorial competition where we want to see blood and carnage for entertainment. All right. I mentioned before, there is a, a lot of references to how we have evidently become enemies of the French. I was kind of surprised by that, and there's I, I, and I have some choice uh, clips from that. I mean, we've always had this like weird relationship with the French, but they, oh yeah, th- there are some things that they put in here. I'm like, all right, where did that where did that come from? Why why all of a sudden did the French become this? I mean, it was it wasn't even like the Russians, but anyway, this particular clip is right after one of the racers is killed by the resistance. There has been a lot of talk about American rebels. We have positive proof that it was none other than the treacherous French. I, and, and that's one thing that throws me off. I'm like, all right, it's the mid-70s. Don't know why the French are, are bad guys, but hey, that's all right. 
I, it's this dystopian future is futuristic or whatever. I'm like, at that time, the Russians were the bad guys. But I just love this clip. I'm going to throw out there now. It's kind of out of sequence, but I really like this one because it's one of those you hear it and you just start laughing because it's so absurd and it just doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to go ahead. Our enemy, the French, have destroyed nearly all our gallant races. Just as they have crippled our once great economy and wrecked our telephone system. (laughs) They've wrecked our telephone system. So you're telling me that France came over here and destroyed Montbell. Really? And it's one of those where you go, Oh, I forgot. I'm not supposed to take that seriously. I again, there, there are certain points of this movie. Again, you know, euthanasia day at the uh, geriatric hospital. I'm like, what? You can't, you can't say that. <laughs> no, you can't say that today. I, and I'm just wondering if you know those poor old people knew exactly what they were being filmed for. You know, it's just, I mean, some of those people looked like. There was a uh, an ambulance on standby in case any second now one of them one of them sadly passed away. It was just, I mean, they looked old. And then I was like, oh no. Um, and then they make that quick right turn to you know jack up a bunch of nurses who all you know you know in perfect in perfect order you know made that jump on the trampoline or whatever. All right, oh, okay. here's one more clip. I've got, no, actually I got two more. This is the one here. Okay. I just love this one because. Because I remember watching it, Deb looked over to me and goes, translation, because I took four years of German in high school. Again, Matilda Hunt, she has been, she just got done wiping out Calamity Jean's navigator, who was fixing her car, so Matilda Hunt ran him over. So Calamity Jean is very upset and is trying to take out Matilda the Hunt. And I love this part. It's just one of those great little quotes. She's gaining on us, Mama, and she's got murder on her mind. So she says, Mach shall mine a kind of buzz bomb, which means move fast, my little buzz bomb. Which her car looks exactly like a V2 rocket from World War II. And it's even painted camouflage of a buzz bomb. Or right, I'm going to throw this one out there. That It's not really a sound clip so much as this is just to let you know during the 70s. And that's what makes these movies so much fun, is because when you watch movies now, the music is set to the scene. The music gets you into the feel of the movie. It's like, but not when you hear this music, because this is a scene (laughs) when Frankenstein and Joe Viterbo get into a fight. Joe was about to kill his navigator, and Frankenstein comes in, and they get in this fight. And it's one of those where I'm like, this is really the music you put in there for it. But you know what? You make the judgment, folks. We're going to play it now. Yes, that was the music. That was the music. That, you know, it it went with the top ten fight scenes ever. (laughs) I can't. This movie, that fight scene there... I, I mean, I, I understand why we've had an evolution and, and there's been choreographing that has gone on because when you leave two people to do it themselves, and I'm sure that Sylvester Stallone wrote in his own fighting part there, uh, and it shows, um, it's pretty bad. And I was afraid at one point when they landed on top of the cars that, you know, the cars were going to become totaled at that point there. Yes, <laughs> like, I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> Not the, you can hear somebody off camera go, not the car, not the car. Like, you how fragile sheet metal is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just realized that it was it was this movie, not Star Wars, that inspired Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> because when I see <laughs> David Carradine. As Frankenstein, I think of Dark Helmet. <laughs> that was the inspiration for that movie. Uh, in, in if we can just get, um, God, what's his name? Um, 
I, 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 I'm director, sorry. I am the director. Who is the director? God damn it. Spaceballs? Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks, that's who it is. Oh my we can get Mel Brooks on here. I bet he would admit to that, too. He would admit that that was the inspiration, not Star Wars, because Lucas stole this Darth Vader concept from this movie. But, um, again, Frankenstein, this character is introduced, and you're like, dude, everybody around you, even even the, the female interviewer is taller than you. I'm just like this. Well, she really wasn't, but I'm everybody else around him. I'm like, this is not a, a figure to be intimidated by. I'm just no. not... I'm not feeling it here. And of course, when he, when he unveils his mask and he like pulls off any sort of, he had that, uh, that kind of meated look to his eye as if it had been, you know, disfigured and he just kind of pulls everything off. And he's like this normal looking dude. I'm like, boy, this is the biggest scam in history. Again, folks, it's a fun movie, but it's one of those where you wanted somebody other than, you know, David Carradine playing this part because, he just really did not fit that role. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure what Corman really wanted to do with it. I never saw the comedy in it. It was more campy than comedy. Yeah, definitely. Even the writing, I don't think, was meant to be humorous. Yeah. I think it was meant to be very straightforward. And there wasn't even, I don't think, too much situational humor. Uh, and there's just stuff that happened in here that was, like you said, campy. But I don't. I just don't get a sense that it it was a comedy. No, very campy um, and very deliberate, but not a comedy. All right. So, what do you think for a man cave movie review, Jeff? Car seat? I don't need those stinking car seat for this car, Muncie. This movie, it gave me claustrophobia because there were so many close in shots of everything i felt it was a made for tv movie it is forgettable in the sense of it they they shot it for what it was a a very low budget movie the acting is very high schoolish i've seen high school plays that pulled off dialogue much better the porn music in it is um is very appropriate for for the time period Okay, and um, that's just what you had in a lot of these 70s movies. I'm going to do this justice by giving it um, 4.75 man cave drawings. Even though this movie is, is uh, is a cult classic, I'm not thinking that this is something that everybody needs to see. There, I said it. Well, and I sent it back to you, Steve. All right, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, folks. I am going to give this movie... What was your score? <laughs> 4.75. Okay. All right, folks. I am going to supersede my good and dear friend, uh, Jeff. I don't need a car seat for this car, Muncie. And just say, you know what? I really like this movie. I'm going to give it a 5.5. Uh, it's not that much higher than him, mainly because unlike I, some of my good and dear friends, I appreciate really bad camping movies. So that's it. This review is probably better than mine. He, uh, he pretty much summed it up better than I did. So that's it, folks, for Man Cave Movie Reviews, our special edition slock version of a movie. Join us next week when we're going to do another movie that we're not going to tell you about because you know what? Every time we tell you what we're going to do, we always change it. And, so- and who knows And who knows we'll, who we'll have on the podcast next week because... It's the first time we've lost a member midstream too. We've lost so. midstream, and that's because you know when you're when you live in that part of the country, you know. Well, uh, so <laughs> it, it is bourbon country. It's not that bad, and horse country. Well, you know what? They got the they got enough bourbon. They can start up a generator and just. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh well. If you. Um, if you enjoy the show, please stick with us next week for our next show. Visit us on our website at www.mancavemoviereview.com. Also visit us on iTunes, which is Man Cave, all in word, Man Cave Movie Review. Leave us a quote. Leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. What would you like to see? What are we doing wrong? Is Jeff drinking too much during the shows and you can't understand what he's saying? You know what? I really want to know because sometimes I'm like, huh? What are you saying? I, I resemble that remark. That's true. But no, folks, really, seriously, 
Lisa and I were doing, we hope we are doing some service to these movies. What we're trying to do is bringing movies that some of you may not have seen and that you might enjoy. I, again, you know, we're, we're not taking this thing seriously. We want you to just take a look at some of this stuff and let us know what you think. Well, Steve, thanks for having us. That's what I'm here for. All right, so this is me, your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Jeff Carsey. I don't need no stinking car seat. Muncie! You're blocking me, Steve. My fans want to hear me. <laughs> I'd love to follow up to that. Yeah. Why, they've never seen a has-been before? <laughs> there, there, there were some great lines out of this movie. That was brilliant. Very well done. Nice, nice. Very like it. I like it. So this is it. This is me, your host, Steve Michael, signing off for Man Cave Movie Review. Ciao. I'm thinking, you just got done with Death Race 2000. A couple years later, you come in this movie and you get nominated for Best Actor. How the hell did that work? 76 was Rocky. So it's a year later. So basically, yeah. one year later, he does Rocky, gets nominated for an Academy Award after Death Race Well, that's, that's how it happened because he probably filmed these right. I mean, you know, he probably was filming Rocky right after this came, right after he got done filming this one. And it probably came out, you know basically during the time he was filming Rocky. And of course, you know, the one that really, really got him his star in Hollywood was uh, was Rhinestone. What? Did you ever see that movie with him and Dolly Parton? It was horrible. Back up. Did you just say Rhinestone? Uh, oh, Rhinestone. Oh, oh, that's right. You're <laughs> with me. Okay. <laughs>